Hi, I'm Robin Birkin and welcome to the Fertility Warriors podcast, a place for women struggling to conceive to find emotional support, conception advice and real talk. To me, being a warrior means true glory is in rising every time we fall, having the courage to be afraid and being ready for whatever challenges cross our path. So welcome, warrior. You're on your way. I promise to support and guide you on every single episode. Let's begin. Hello, Fertility Warriors, and welcome back to another episode of the Fertility Warriors podcast. I am so, so pleased that you are here today, and I am equally, if not more pleased, to share with you an interview today from one of our participants in the Fertility Warrior Intensive. Rebecca is a fellow Perth liver, and we caught up at a Fertility Warriors catch-up about six months ago now. And then Rebecca went on to join my program, but I'm so pleased to welcome her here today just to share a little bit about her story, what she was going through, how she was coping, and some of the tools and resources that she has added to her belt that have helped her along her journey in terms of coping with everything that the journey entails. Rebecca as well is a medical professional. She's a specialist physio. And so I thought it was a really interesting perspective to hear from someone who has done something that is what I would class as a little bit woo-woo when sometimes, you know, when we're immersed in things like IVF and things like that, it's kind of this really scientific, um, you know, lab coat type scenario. So anyway, I'm going to soon stop talking and start listening a little bit. Welcome, Rebecca. Hi, thanks for having me. Oh, you are most welcome. So as I said before, we first met just over six months ago at a dinner. And from my recollection, you messaged me and you were like, "Mm, this is fucked up. Maybe not in those words. Let's (laughs) organize our catch up. And I guess that's sort of the starting point. Are you able to walk us through where you were at in that point and a little bit of, you know, sort of your journey up until that point? Yeah. So it was, it was April, I think, was the catch up, the beginning of April. I said to you then, I was at my lowest point. I'm, I'm not actually sure I was. I think I probably just got a little bit lower after our catch up, but I definitely at my lowest point when I was like, this is silly. I can't be on my own. There's got to be other people that are going through the same thing that I'm going through. And so organizing that catch up was really nice because it was just six other women that have either been through what I was going through or about to go through or had success. And it just made me feel less alone. So we spent that whole, I don't know, two and a half hours, just everyone was talking about the same, same thing and everyone understood. So it was really nice. And it was actually really nice. One of the girls I got on really well with that evening. I think she fell pregnant quite quickly after we'd all oh, met her. awesome. Yeah. yeah. She still had gone through medicated cycles. I think she did ovulation induction. And, yeah, she was just, she messaged me, I don't know, six weeks later and just said, oh, it does work, you know, like you can get there. So it was really nice. And I thought, well, that was inevitable, but it was really nice that out of the six of us, one of us had already gone and got pregnant. Like, yeah. So for me, that was I don't know, maybe it was my lowest point. I, th- I do remember a point later on in April. It's probably what I would say was my final breakdown up until that point. So kind of going back on my journey, I emigrated to Australia when about two years ago now. 
And I I was going to make this amazing life. We'd upped and packed our life into a box and we were going to make this amazing life and we were going to build this beautiful Australian home and we were going to have a pool and we are going to have a family and it was all going to be perfect. And, and when I got here, it wasn't quite so perfect. The grass isn't necessarily greener. You still take a lot of your insecurities with you. I had a really good job back in the UK and I left that behind. We actually had a great life. People asked us why we actually moved and sometimes I wouldn't be able to give them an answer. But that's a whole nother story. <laughs> I think I'd set myself up to fail like before I'd even started and that was probably the beginning of some of the depression, some of the anxiety because I'd also like, right, we're going to move to Australia, we're going to have family and that's what we did. We like stop using protection, we'll start. And it just the first six months, nothing happened. I was like, oh, okay, we haven't really been trying, trying. Let's really, really try and track a bit of ovulation. And I, you know, I thought I had this down pat, again, setting myself up to fail. I thought I knew my cycle. I thought I knew everything there is to know about periods. And I really didn't. And that really opened my eyes. I'm a women's health specialist. I thought I knew everything. And I didn't. And what I thought was a normal cycle wasn't. And after a few more months of really tracking, I just thought, well, why is this still not happening? And I was oh, I was lucky if I got to day 22 before I'd start bleeding. And I was like, no, nah, this isn't right. And I did actually finally go and get help. I went to the GP a couple of times, did a couple of track cycles, and they're like, oh, you are ovulating. I was like, well, I think I'm confident I'm ovulating, but I don't make it past day 22, 23 without bleeding. So obviously don't maintain a luteal phase. They said, oh, okay, well, maybe you can go to a specialist. And I really had to fight to get referred. I lied. I said, oh, we've been trying for over a year. It wasn't actually quite, but I was like, but no one's listening to me. So I did get sent to a fertility specialist after seeing two different GPs. And they sent me to a lady who I had already done my research. I'd actually worked with professionally. So I kind of was like, no, that's who I want to see. And she was wonderful. But the first words out of her mouth were like, well, you've probably got endo. And I was just like, no, I don't have endometriosis. I know my body, you know, back on my high horse. I'm a medical professional. I know it all. I haven't got endometriosis. But she said, go and have a scan. And the scan will tell us. It's an in-depth 3D, 4D scanner. Go and have a scan. And I was like, oh, okay. And I was thinking, I know the gold standard for endometriosis is surgery, but whatever. When it had the scan with this lady who honestly her bedside manner left a lot to be desired she told me I had got endometriosis that I had these cysts and I had adenomyosis and I left the scan thinking oh my god I've been given this death sentence this is it I am never going to conceive this is a disaster and I really went to a whole new low this is about two weeks out from Christmas I was waiting for my in-laws to turn up and stay and I was just beside myself I was like that's it I am never going to have a baby and I'd really succumbed to it. I was actually in a very, very low place to the point that when I went to the consultant again with my results, she ended up prescribing me emergency antidepressants because I'd become, oh, I'd become suicidal. I'd really, really got to quite a bad place. And I, I wasn't coping. And I knew that I had my in-laws coming and that we were trying to prove that we had this perfect life. And it was a bit of a disaster and it was off the back of they also did a tracked cycle which they always do when you first go to a fertility clinic and obviously that hadn't worked but they got my hopes up because they were like oh your progesterone's higher than it's ever been and um I had this bleed at like day 21 and then it went away and I was like oh my god this is all it took and I again told myself this story this was always going to take anyway 
it, it didn't work. And then they said, look, you have to have surgery. I literally hung out till February because I had to see a specialist. I couldn't just have one gynecologist. I had to have two because they said if it's endometriosis, it's got to be excised and it's got to be pumped very carefully. So I held out, literally holding my breath, waiting for February counting days. Went in for surgery, ended up having major bowel surgery, but there was no endometriosis. They found something else that was actually as a result of, I had a laparotomy when I was six years old. It's a whole other story. I had appendicitis that burst and they, they ended up finding something wrong with my bowel, which actually transpires was the pain I was having on my left-hand side, which has now been fixed. Anyway, wasn't anything to do with endo, nothing to do with fertility. She said the dye went into my tubes quicker than any dye has ever gone into tubes. So I left thinking, well, that was a waste of time. I've just had major surgery. I had to have all this time off work and it's nothing to do with my fertility. And then they said, well, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'm, well, let's do IVF. Let's do something. I'm not going to sit back and wait. They're like, well, you've just had this surgery. Your period's due. And I said, yeah, it's probably due like tomorrow or the next day. Can't we start now? And they were like, no, it doesn't work like that. You can't. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know, I was so naive. You don't know what you don't know, though. No, no, I know. I was like, yep, give it to me. I'm ready. And they were like, well, no, you can't do that. They said, well, you can do a medicated cycle. And I said, yes, give me the drugs. What do you want me to do? And they were like, yep, here's your trigger. Here's your progesterone. And I was like, this is what I need. This is it. And then I was away. So I was like, yep, this is great. I've got needles. I've got drugs. And again, I thought, this is it. I'm going to do this. This is what's going to work. Anyway, needless to say, it didn't work. And I said, well, that's okay. If this doesn't work, we're going to do IVF next month. So this is getting into March this year. And at the end of that cycle, they scanned me and they said, you've developed a massive cyst. It's huge. It was, it was over five centimetres and it wasn't going away. And I was like, what? Well, that doesn't mean I can't start IVF. And they were like, yes, it does. Because if we pump you full of more hormones, you're going to end up with this grapefruit on your ovary. And I was just like, are you freaking kidding me? I've just, I had no idea. I had no idea that these trigger shots are more likely to cause cysts. I just had no idea. And then, so I was left devastated and I really, really had quite a bad breakdown where the nursing staff said to me, we really think that you need to sort out your mental health before you can go any further. We actually don't think that you're mentally fit for IVF. Right. And that really hit home. Like I, and I, and I knew that I wasn't mentally fit for IVF at all. So do you feel a little bit like, it was a roller coaster of emotions. Like you oh, get your hopes 100%. up, then you crash. Then yeah. you get your hopes up, yeah. then you crash. Yeah. And that's real. I feel like yeah. that's quite a normal response for all of us. I feel like you might have put a bit more pressure on yourself to succeed because you're a women's mm. health specialist. Yep. And I thought I had it nailed. And oh, yeah, I thought I knew it all. And that really, I remember that day so vividly. They phoned, they went in the morning, they said, let's scan you and see. The cyst had gone down by about a centimetre. And they said, look, it didn't go with your period. So the doctor said, just no, we are not proceeding with IVF. And I actually had such a severe breakdown, I couldn't go to work. Um, I had to cancel my first few patients. And then I ended up having to go to work because I had a clinic and then I had a meeting that evening. And I remember looking at myself in the mirror that night and everyone had commented on how exhausted I looked. I'd already lost, by this point, I'd already lost about 10 kilos in weight. So it was really obvious that I was suffering in some way, but nobody knew what I was going through. Anyway, I must have picked myself back up again because I was like, oh, I know, I'll do another medicated cycle. So I convinced the clinic to give me more drugs because I was obsessed. I was frantic. Give me more drugs. I'm not going to waste another cycle 
give me more drugs. And I did. They let me do it again. And they shouldn't have done. They should have said, Rebecca, you need to step back, work on your mental health and just take a break. They didn't. They gave me more drugs and I did another medicated cycle, which also failed. And then it made such a mess. I must have had another cyst. It messed my cycle up so badly. I ended up not actually going full 28 days. I think I started bleeding day 24, 25, which meant the next month when I was supposed to start IVF, I was actually on holiday, even though we'd planned it that I wouldn't have been. And I had another breakdown because, again, this has not gone to plan. And they said, we think you need to go on the pill. And I was like, oh, my God, how can you tell someone that's trying to have a baby that they need to go on the contraceptive pill? And I've got really strong feelings about the contraceptive pill just because of my nature of work. I know a lot about it. I deal with a lot of problems as a result of the contraceptive pill. And now here they are telling me I've got to go on a pill. And I honestly, I just thought, I can't do this. This is just not, this is just not me. And I remember being actually, it was after we must have met as a group, I was then on holiday, um, on this holiday that had postponed IVM. And I bled severely. So I was in the whoop whoop up north somewhere in the West Coast in a caravan bleeding heavily because I must have ruptured one of the cysts Mm. and still forcing my husband to have intercourse because I was like, no, I must be ovulating. This is going to happen. This is going to happen because we're away on holiday. It was never going to happen. I was so stressed. It was never going to happen. And in the end, after that holiday, was in fact, I remember it so vividly. I know exactly what caravan park I was in when I signed up for your course because I knew I could not have another breakdown. Yeah. I was that exhausted that I couldn't go through it again. I said, something's got to change. And my husband said, I don't care what you do. I don't want you to tell me anything about the program. Here's the money. Do it. And I signed up there and then. I was literally signed on some dodgy Wi-Fi in Kalbari <laughs> National Park. <laughs> signing up up to the fertility warrior intensive because I knew something had to change how did you come to be in the fertility warrior sphere was it through the Facebook group or no no it was through your podcast oh okay yep yeah so about a year ago when things are not you know when we're trying and things weren't being successful I was like right I'm just going to use the time that I'm in the gym to listen to podcasts see what I and I was so typical. I'd listen to every single podcast. And, you know, I'd listen to ones that you would do on sleep. And I'd be like, yep, that's not me. I don't have problems sleeping. I was awake every night at 3 a.m. But yeah. I'd tell myself, I don't have problems falling asleep, so I don't have problems sleeping. Yeah. But I would be awake every night at 3 a.m. going through the same scenarios, the same disaster stories that I'd told myself. This was never going to happen. I was never going to be a mother, I, you know, every night. But, yeah, I'd convince myself listening to all these podcasts, that's not me. And I would listen to the ones on diet and I'd be like, no, I don't need to cut out dairy. I don't need to cut out gluten. It doesn't me. I'm, I'm so healthy. This is, you know, turns out I've got celiac disease. I found that out through here. So oh, I did right. need to cut out gluten. <laughs> okay. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and that was actually probably one of the, I reckon, one of the reasons I did in the end fall pregnant was because I'd cut out gluten for the three months. And I had celiac disease. I never knew. I was very good in the beginning at listening to all these podcasts and thinking, yeah, 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 I've got this. This is so – I didn't because now I listen to the podcast and I'm like, yes, I resonate now. I understand where those people are coming from. And I remember telling myself a year ago, I've got good friends that have been off and 
seen Tony Robbins live and oh. walked on hot coals and, you know, and I think, oh, my God, why would you do that? Why do you need to do that? Get on with your life. But actually I do need to do that. I do need to look at things a bit differently and look at things, yeah, in a whole new perspective, which is what the program did for me. And I feel like if we break a leg, we're really quick to go and get help of some description. Yeah. But when we're really hurting inside and we're not coping emotionally, there is something in our society that has conditioned us to feel like, number one, that we're a failure, but number two, I guess almost like feel ashamed or be conditioned to try and just always deal with it ourselves. Mm. And sometimes I don't think it matters what that help is. Like if you look at athletes, right, there is no one out there who is going to say, you know what, I'm going to conquer the 100 metres in X time that says, no, I don't need a coach or a physio or any yeah. of No one that does that. They have like athletes all have like mindset coaches, right? They all have mindset coaches. They have conditioning coaches. They have diet coaches. They have all these people, but it's almost like we turn a blind eye to all of that when Mm. we're on our own journey because we're not living, you know, that big lifestyle. But sometimes we need more than just the conventional treatments that exist for infertility. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. But that's not readily available. No. It took me over a year to get to that point. I could argue that I needed this program a long time ago, maybe even before I started trying to conceive. I don't know. But for me, actually, when I look back on it, and I know hindsight's a wonderful thing, that this actually occurred at the right time in the end. I know I, I actually could have used this program a long time ago. It's not readily available in terms of I just it's not advertised out there. It's not, no one ever says, have you ever thought about doing X? But you also have to make that one, you have to change yourself. Like, you know, and I knew April came because I used to say the same thing ever and ever again. Just want to go back to the way things were. I don't know what I meant by that. I just had this, I don't know, like a this fantasy that of my last life or my old life that I wanted to do. And my husband used to say to me, what do you mean? What, what do you mean you want to go back to the way things were? And what I meant was I'd lost sight of myself. I got to a point and even he would say to me, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror, not because I hated myself, not because my body was failing me, but because it actually just wasn't me. Yeah. I didn't recognize myself, couldn't even look at myself in the mirror. And I, I mean, I did change. Like, I lost a lot of weight and my hair fell out, lost a lot of hair through treatment and stress. My skin was a mess. It, yeah. yeah. Like I, it, even people at work started commenting. Someone commented in my ballet class, I still take a ballet class once a week because so we used to dance professionally. And one of the girls came up to me, she said, God, you look so good. You're so skinny. And I was like, nah, this is, no, if you really knew why I've lost all this weight, this is not good. This is not me. And I was so unhappy, so desperately unhappy. And I and I would, I'd feel guilty. I was like, why am I, if this is such a first world problem, I live in this beautiful home. I've got this amazing job, this amazing husband. I've got a family around me. Why am I complaining? And that's. That's hard, which is why the module on guilt was so important. Yes. For me, anyway, I found that really, because it's okay to feel like that. I understand why I felt like that now. I didn't then, but that was really, really useful for me. And the one on fear, the module on fear. Yeah. 
which is why we start with fear because <laughs> yes. we all have a thousand fears. That's why we wake up at 3 a.m. And so many people wake up at 3 a.m. Like it's a really common thing in all of the trainings and coaching that I've done. We all think that it's just us. It's not. Like infertility is stressful, but that doesn't mean yeah. that we have to cope with it on our own. We can get help in whatever no. form best suits us. So how did you rationalize in your mind being a woman's health specialist and then number one admitting that you needed some further help in addition to uh, fertility clinic help and also help that is like there's a lot of brain science behind the program you know we interview a neurologic music therapist we have a clinical psychologist as part of the program but on the same token I feel like there's an element of like woo-woo or at least on the fringe of mainstream, how did you rationalise that in your head and say, you know what, this is the kind of direction that I'm going to steer in now? It's a really good question actually because I think I really was very medicalised. I still am because that's that's my background. I just assumed the science would help me. I was brought up by my father as an obstetrician gynaecologist. My mum's a midwife. So I was surrounded by medicine from day one. It was inevitable that I was going Actually, I'm very surprised I didn't end up becoming a surgeon myself. But I chose women's health because I was brought up with it. And I, that's medicine. You, you get sick, you go to the doctor, they'll fix it. That was how we were taught. We were never, I was never brought up to look outside the box, explore the feelings a bit more, look at that other 50%, you know, this 50% being medical and the 50% being that woo-woo or just that extra added. But I think, you know, I, I listened to, there are lots of podcasts I've read a lot around there being evidence behind these mind-body programs. And even my facility specialist did actually phone me, I think, one of the times when I was really at my low. I think it was when I had decided finally to go on the contraceptive pill. She phoned me and she said, I know you're not okay. And I said, look, I've signed up to this program. This is what I'm going to do. And she said, I am so glad you are doing a mind-body program because there is evidence behind it. And both of us practice evidence-based medicine. So in a way, to me, it's still, I mean, don't get me wrong, I also joined a yoga studio. Who, she's incredibly woo-woo, but I just went with it because I used to be the person a year ago that said, I haven't got time to go to yoga. I haven't got time to lie there on the floor for 15 minutes. I'm too busy thinking about what I've got to do that day. Now I go to yoga and I'm like, yes, let me lie down. I want to have a sleep because I go to sleep. Yeah. Whereas a year ago, I wouldn't do that. So part of the other three months of joining the Fertility Warrior Intensive and then I joined this yoga class and I started just making a bit more time and, and I realised that the medicine side of things was never going to do that for me. Yeah. I had to do that. I had to change. I needed guidance. That's why the program is so useful because it's so guided. Because I tried, you know, I don't even know how much. My husband said there's like the cost of the IVF and then there's the cost of fertility, which if you add up the counts, I, I went through two counsellors, I went through a hypnotherapist, I've been through books and you know thinking I could do this on my own multiple four-hour conversations with my mum if you add it up the time and money spent really I should have just done the program because I got more benefit out of that than anything else for me a lovely thing to say thank you (laughs) that's okay (laughs) are you able to tell me about I guess what modules you found were most useful and just generally about I mean it's very kind of you to say that about the program, but I love that you've also acknowledged that the work, like it's you doing the work 
Mm. on yourself. Anyone could sign up to the program, but just signing up and paying the money doesn't get the results. No. It's actually sitting there and doing the worksheets, working through your feelings, your thoughts, your fears, your guilt, all of that kind of stuff. That that's what enables us to transform. And really, like when we go back to looking at how this affects our fertility, chronic stress can lead to chronically high cortisol levels, which can start impairing some of our sex hormones uh, and things like that. So there is, you know, evidence that it can affect our hormones. But what was most helpful to you? I did the first two modules twice. I actually did the fear and the guilt one twice. I redid them. I actually think I redid them in both weeks. Yeah, you're right. It's just, I say it to all my patients. It says, there's no point buying the exercise DVD unless you're going to do it. Because, if, you know, getting slim isn't just owning the DVD. You actually have to do the work. So I knew I had to do the work. I think there was definitely the fear for me. I, the Moby Dick story that you tell for me was that that was it. I was like, oh, well, that makes sense. This, this fear of actually the unknown that actually in the end isn't actually that bad. Like, but you catastrophize the whole, yeah, and that was what I was doing. And then the bit mostly, I think it keeps coming back up through the modules, modules is the stories that you tell yourself. Yeah. That's really interesting. Like I go off on this whole scenario about how things are going to be. I even did it even during my IVF. I'd be like, oh, yeah, IVF is going to work first time. We're going to be those people that would say. And then I'd come up with the next story like, oh, we're going to be those people that spent 12 grand on IVF and then got pregnant naturally. Now, that actually turns out that is what happened. <laughs> but you know, I tell myself those stories before that even happened and I would have this whole, this mapped out and none of it actually, I mean, some of it turned out that way, but actually yeah. most of it didn't. Yeah. And that's what the modules kept coming back to. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that we discuss is using our vivid imagination for good. Um, and we can have good stories and we can have like you know, stories that don't serve us anymore. And the problem can be sometimes that we just can't let go of the stories that don't pan out. We're so fixed. And I, like I mean, it was exactly the same. And I still have my moments. When you're a type A, you're a little bit of a type A. Yeah. But, you know, it's about having the self-awareness to be able to recognise what's going on and to be able to ebb and flow with everything a bit better. Yeah, that's what I've learned with the modules. So do you feel like you can ebb and flow? Now, 100%. I think I was, I think we were probably around week nine when I started IVF and I was just, I was so relaxed. I was like, do you know what? This is just a process. I, I had a little bit of preconceived like, oh yes, it's going to work first time for us. And then I catch myself saying that and be just like, well, if it doesn't, it might work next time or it would work the time after. And I just had a really good experience. I was very lucky with my IVF, very, very good experience. I was on high dose of hormones, but it was quite straightforward for me. I got 10 eggs, nine fertilized, but I actually ended up with only two embryos at the end. And it turned out that egg quality was probably something that was a little bit lacking and it didn't work. It didn't work for me. My first round of IVF didn't work, but I was actually really okay with it. I cried when I, I actually got my period. I didn't even make it to pregnancy test. But I was all right. By the end of the day, I was like, okay, what's next? We're on to on to the next embryo. And we sat down and had a really good talk about should we do another round of IVF or should we go for a frozen? And it was a rational conversation. 
there is nothing irrational about it, which is what used to happen. We used to have these irrational conversations about how we were never going to be parents and we had to just stop trying and go off down that rabbit hole. We didn't. We had a rational conversation that night and said, okay, well, we'll just wait. We'll go and see the consultant this week. And she said, let's do it. If you want to do a frozen transfer, let's do a frozen transfer. And then you can do IVF again off the back of that. And I was like, yep, okay. Now, we didn't get there. We were fortunate enough that I think when the pressure was off, but I wasn't stressed. I wasn't stressed through IVF and I wasn't stressed afterwards. And I now, looking back on it, I don't believe there's anything wrong with me. I actually don't believe I was infertile. I was stressed, so chronically stressed, and I couldn't see it. Everyone else around me could see it, but I wasn't prepared to listen. It wasn't until I worked through those 12 weeks that, and now I am how I am now, that I realized how unwell I was. And it was stress. Because for the first time, I know I was pregnant this last cycle that, you know, back in July, but I didn't get this bleeding. I didn't get this erratic mood swings. I didn't think anything. I wasn't frantic. I wasn't waiting to take a pregnancy test. I was nothing. I was actually on a course all weekend on a major colorectal uh, course. Couldn't be any further from my mind. And all I thought on the, I think it was even my period was due that day. And I remember thinking, oh, I think my period was due today. Got home that night. I said to my husband, I think I might do a test. And he was like, what do you mean? Is it the end of the month? I said, yeah. Did a test. It was positive. But before I had done tests from like day 21, day 22, countless, get myself worked up and work every, every month frantic. And the month that I was least stressed, I just wasn't worried. And did anyone else notice the difference? Yeah, definitely. Well, my husband firstly, obviously, because he didn't have to deal with the breakdowns because he just didn't know what to do. He didn't know what to do with himself, didn't know what to do with me. He learned in the end that it was better just to let us ride it out, to not say anything, to not try and have the same conversation that we have every month. It was just better to let me ride it out. And I, and these episodes could go on for three, four hours. We, we would lose entire evenings to these breakdowns. Um, so he learned to ride it out. But now we describe life as just being easy. There's nothing. It's just normal. Obviously, we've got other day-to-day stresses and things, but I don't even find that stressful anymore. I'm just like, okay, well, whatever. And then for the first time ever, one of the one of the guys I work with today, he's actually the practice manager, said, oh, I'm really enjoying your presence in the clinic. And I was like, oh, because apparently it actually got to a point where no one was, they'd all talk about it behind my back. And I work in a big clinic. There's eight of us physios and three receptions. And no one would ask me how it was because they were so petrified of what the answer might be. I came clean to my bosses today. I actually came clean with everything I'd been going through. And I had actually had IVF and that I was an actual fat pregnant now. And they were really understanding. My other job, however, wasn't so understanding. Not recently. It was actually back when I was going through a very difficult time. I actually lost a lot of patience because I wasn't coping and they weren't very supportive. I actually ended up nearly losing that job because of it. So it was kind of two different ends. And that's because my job was so difficult. I've got one of those jobs that I remember distinctly having a breakdown at work because I'd seen a woman in the car park with her newborn baby and I knew that she was my patient. I knew yeah. she was coming to see me. No one else with newborn babies comes to see me. Anyone else at clinic, they come to see me. And I remember doing my emergency meditation, trying to pull myself together just to be able to get through this appointment because I was like, I can't do this anymore. 
I hated everything about it. I hated myself for that. I hated my job. And I knew something had to change. But it wasn't going to be my job. Yeah. Because actually I love my job. It had to be me. And I feel like there was a change in you at the clinic from feeling the anxiety start to bubble up every time you started to see a pregnant or woman who had a baby. I had this exact same experience, feeling like, damn it, they're good luck. Like, give me that juju. I did. Mm. And that I read somewhere about David Bowie's wife was infertile or whatever you want to call it, and she went and hugged a baby every day for a month or something. Uh, (laughs) I thought, oh, I'll do that. And obviously I'm fortunate enough to have access to babies every day. But I did do that. I was like, I'm just not going to, you know, someone said, just smile at pregnant women in the park or whatever because that will be you one day. And I was like, I would have never done that before, but I just thought, I'm just going to do it. Yeah. So for about two months or so, I did this hugging a baby every day and I had this one patient come in. And this was her seventh delivery. Wow. And I said to her, oh, my goodness, can you just rub me or something? Just touch me. She must have fertile energy. It was really weird because she came out to see me about three weeks later. I said, you'll never believe it, but I'm actually pregnant. (laughs) She was like, see? (laughs) So maybe, I don't know. But instead of repelling that and feeling so dreadful every time these patients came in, now I was like, yep, give me the baby. Yeah. Because you've got something that I want and there must be something about your energy that maybe, maybe it will rub off. Actually, I just think it was that I became more accepting. Yes, patients were going to come and see me, whatever. Yeah. So I had to accept it. And I knew that it would be me one day. I'll go and have my postnatal assessment. But I didn't believe that before I started the program. But now I do. Ah. And did your specialist notice any changes? Yes. Huge difference. She said to me, I think it was actually during IVF. No, at the end of IVF. So even when we had our meeting when it had failed, she just said, you're a totally different person. That literally this person I saw, I don't know whenever it was, October last year is, is not the same person that's sitting in front of me. And yet she's sitting here telling me my IVF failed. You know, like, well, I knew it already failed. But that the reason we're having this meeting is because we still weren't pregnant. Even the nurses at the clinic notice the difference because you know what it's like. They know you're on a first name basis by the time you've been there as many times as you, you go. And I was really fortunate. The nurses were just fantastic. But, yeah, even the nurses noticed a big difference. It's really funny. The last thing I said to my consultant at that appointment, I said, well, you watch. I'll go and get pregnant on my own this month. And she went, well, strange things have happened. Yeah. <laughs> that's the last thing I ever said to her. <laughs> yeah. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Rebecca, honestly, I am just so, so happy for you and just happy that you've found your spark back again. So congratulations and well done on Thank the work. You that you've done if you had any tips and advice for anyone out there who is you know really struggling at the moment with infertility what would it be I think it would be you have to know that you can make a change like you don't have to carry on living like that cycle and fortunately the only person that can can make that change is you so it might take you another two three months to realize that and it definitely took me a while but No one else can do this for you. There is no help out there, I don't believe. Counselors, hypnotherapists, it doesn't matter where you're going to walk away with the same sensation that I got after doing the three months' work. And there's a reason that was three months because it wasn't going to happen. You can't do that program in a week. There's just no way. It took three months. Yeah. So that would be my advice. And are there any daily practices that you have now that you didn't have before? 
my journal. <laughs> yeah. And yoga. Yeah, would have never done that before. And and yoga, no, I religiously still goes to the class and just go with that. The journaling didn't stop. Still do it. Sometimes I think I've got nothing to say because I don't have as much, you know, in the beginning I would have all these feelings and fears and it would take up pages. Now I can very much say this is what's happened today and then I write my ten things, which is actually more like seven. Yeah, but I'm still writing exactly the same thing. Oh, one or two things have changed, but I'm still writing the same thing. And the number one one for me was that I walk my children to school every day because that's what I wanted to do. And I just say that I do that. So for me, the journaling has not. I've still got the same journal. I'm nearly finished yet. I'll actually have to buy another one. But the same one, I went out and I bought myself a journal and, you know, like make it a bit of a thing. And it lives on the living room coffee table and I do it every night. Awesome. And I never miss it. Yeah. That's so awesome. So are you ready for the speed round? <laughs> okay. What was for dinner tonight? I did caponata, so like peppers, tomato, uh, aubergine and onion and then little roasted potatoes. Yum. What is your favourite quote or affirmation? So if you want real control, you need to drop the illusion of control and let life live you because it does anyway. Oh. I've never yeah. heard that and I love that. So that's by Byron Katie and I've definitely stuck by that because it's going to happen anyway. Yep, it so is. Do you have a book that you recommend people read? Yeah, like I think everyone just has to read The Period Repair Manual by Lara Bryden. I think every woman, I think every girl should read it. I can't believe it took me this far into my career before I read it, but I still use it as a reference. It's 100%. You have to read it. And if there was one message you could give everyone in the world? That you're stronger than you think and braver than you believe. Yeah, 100%. Yes. It's been such a pleasure having you here on the podcast, Rebecca. Um, As I said, I'm so, so thrilled to hear your journey and your transformation uh, and I really look forward to keeping in touch with you and we catch up in Perth we probably catch up once every six months so if you ever want to catch up with Rebecca or I then check us out in the Fertility Warriors support and chat group we just organize them within the events tab you'll check out my Instagram handle is at Robin Birkin and we always publish catch-ups there as well thank you so much for listening make sure you subscribe to the podcast and also leave us a review if you like this episode Thank you for tuning in and I'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Fertility Warriors podcast with me, your host, Robin Birkin. If you would like more tools, resources and courses to help you survive your journey, please head to robinburkin.com. And if you like this podcast, please share it with others. I look forward to catching you at the next episode.